Well, let's let's start, shall okay. we? Shall yes. we? So what it's a, happens? It's, it's official. I, I don't really know because okay. I mean I think this is episode seven. I think. And so I'm still finding my grounding. I'm still finding my footing. And you're only the second guest I've ever had on the show. So um, good job. You, you've made it. You've arrived. I think I have. I mean, have we started? Is this it? <laughs> yeah, this is definitely it. Okay. We're definitely keep putting that on there. Things are going to change. I can feel it. It's But so, maybe I should introduce you first. I kind you... of think I have made it in a way because I don't get opportunities to sit down with someone who I know cares about music as much as I do yeah. and talk about it for a long time. And not only that, not just music, but hum. Yes. Like hum. I've been looking forward to this all week because <laughs> I don't know anyone else I can sit down with and talk and who wants to talk about hum for an hour. So. I know. I know you found you found the guy and you found him twenty three years ago. Right, so I made it twenty three years ago. Yeah, it just took <laughs> it that just long now to it's lead coming to, this. to fruition. <laughs> yeah, well, what I what I love about this too is you when TikTok things started to blow up for me and and I started getting this platform. You said out of the gate. I mean, it was like you were like, "Can we talk about hum? <laughs> can we talk about hum?" And I was like, "Yes, yes, yeah, of course." He's a little obsessed. No, and actually, I think it's a perfect one. But before we go into that, I'm going to yeah. say, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the podcast, a Waterproof Records, Episode 7, I think. Uh, Jarrett Dapier. Jarrett Dapier, welcome to Waterproof Records. Jarrett is an accomplished writer of uh, children's picture books, and he just recently released his, this is the first one, right? This is the first children's book to come out. Jazz for Lunch, which I have in my hands right here. Look at that. Look, his name right up there. Ah, so, so cool. And uh, you have a second book coming out this next Tuesday. Is that yeah. it? Okay. Yeah, I, it's been an exciting month. Uh, yes, two books in a month, and then um, a third one in a year. So it's three books in a year. Three books. Amazing. Amazing. Congratulations on that. Oh, so and I'll tell you about that one. Yeah, please. Will you show it's it? It's called Mr. Watson's Chickens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, jazz for Lunch, obviously being a book in part about jazz, yeah. is uh, um, about music and includes music, of course. And the, the telling of it is very rhythmic and musical. Mr. Watson's Chickens also involves music um however the music is made by a enormous chicken band <laughs> that gets out of hand yeah out of um, hand chicken band that's right it's the out of hand <laughs> chicken band book and uh i think you just wrote a blurb yeah i did right jacob gibbons of tiktok says it's an out of hand chicken band yes! and you gotta get this in your you gotta get this in your hand so um <laughs> i speak like i'm shell silverstein basically yeah. Yes. Anyway. Um, so there is there is music in it, and it does play an important part to the plot. Um, but it, it's about uh, two men with entirely too many chickens. Yeah. And uh, they're they're uh, a common problem. Yes. Yes. Well, they started with three, but it ended with four hundred fifty-six, and they've all moved in. And wow. so that's so many chickens. Yeah, and one of them, <laughs> Aunt Agnes, is a is a singer, and she's written her own song, and she sort of leads the chorus. Yeah. And they do it at like two in the morning. And uh, so finally, one of the men is like, we got to get rid of these. Let's find them a loving home. And so they do, but chaos ensues on the way to uh, 
the, the fair where they are, are looking for new owners. So I can't wait to own this one too. I'm going to buy out, it. Comes out Tuesday, October 5th. October 5th. Well, this will probably air after it's already out. So if you're listening now, you it's already available. It. So go get it. And then why you're, aren't you're, you, why aren't you getting it right now? You know, aren't you, why are you listening to this show? You should be buying the book. Unless you're driving and listening to this to get it. <laughs> That's great. That's the best of both worlds. But you, and then you have a third one as well. And it also has the musical component and, and, Very and much, yeah. Yeah. And there, the reason is before you say that is I, I, have you on this show for that very reason? Because look, I have done stand up comedy in LA for almost a decade. And so as soon as I started a podcast, I'm sure that all my comedian friends are like, I want to be on this podcast. I want to be this podcast. I want to do the show. But I have rules. My rules are you have to be a musician of some sort, I believe, for this show, or at least somebody who has made it painfully clear to me that they're obsessed with bands as much as I am. And in the, in the comedy world, that hasn't necessarily happened so much. So the people that I'm inviting to be on the show are people that I know that have played in bands, have written music, have been in that culture, and also just could honestly talk about a band for about an hour and uh, easily. Yeah. And uh, and so, but <laughs> but but that's why I invited Jarrett Dapier was my college roommate at University of Illinois, um, Urbana Champaign, and I actually talked about him on the Siamese Dream episode. So he's here now to stand up for himself. When I said, "Yeah, Jarrett's telling me about this part in Geek USA where the drum fill was like super hard," and I talked to him later on the phone, and he was like, "No, I just wasn't a good enough drummer at the time, but it's a it's a very <laughs> cool fill." But he, is. Here, this is the drummer that I was referring to and uh anyway that all that being said glad you're on the show um tell tell me a little bit about the third book and then we'll get into hum so i've been a lifelong drummer i've i've been playing since i was uh in third grade and um so it's no accident that um, my first three books are all about either music or um yeah they're all about music and um Uh, but the jazz book and the third book that I'm going to talk about are, are in many ways, my attempt to drum with words. Oh, cool. Um, Well said. You know, it's anybody who loves hip hop or poetry, you know, that's not a new concept in a lot of ways, but I just, that's how I look at it while I'm writing. And, and I have to like the rhythm that I'm inventing and it has to sort of fit the flow of what I'm creating and tell a story at the same time. Sure. So I've, I've really fallen in love, especially the less drumming I can do these days. I pretty much only drum with, you know, myself. Yeah. <laughs> and you send me videos of you drumming. <laughs> right. That doesn't, it sounds weird, but it's it just me solo in the basement. Um, and I don't mind that some drummers, some drummers hate that they can't do it if they're not yeah. with a band and they're not drumming. I, yeah. I'm fine. I can, I, I'm really hyperactive and, and, um, get kind of anxious when I, when I can't drum. And, uh, so if I give myself just a good half hour every few days, it's, um, it's, it's a good week. So, okay. um, but, uh, writing is a lot quieter. I have a dog who's terrified of the drums, so I can't, I, I have even more obstacles yeah. than, uh, you know, having no one else to play with. But, um, writing is a lot quieter. Yeah. Um, and so I wrote this book, um, based on my own experience. I was in 2009, I was invited to the Obama white house to play, um, play at their Halloween celebration, which Michelle Obama, I guess was the mastermind behind. She details it in her book becoming, 
and about how like she fought for this Halloween celebration. Yeah. Um, the White House didn't want to do it because it was a recession. They said it would look bad. But she was like, I'm inviting children to trick or treat at the White House. What yeah. looks bad about that? <laughs> Happiness. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Children together. Children together. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. With their families invited. Yeah. And that's the thing. It wasn't like you didn't have to be some special child. Yeah. It was 2,500 area DC school children and their families. Yeah. Lining up and walking up the drive um, and trick or treating. And Michelle and Barack were uh, were there handing out candy. Um, and I was invited to drum on the grounds during the trick or treating with two other guys as part of this Chicago theater company called Red Moon. And mm-hmm. Red Moon is is no longer uh, it's no longer in business. But uh, they knew some people who knew some people and they're known for like really interesting you know, sort of theatrical spectacle outdoors yeah. particularly. And so someone called them and said, Hey, bring your skeleton drummers. Um, <laughs> they've, they've, I guess they would do these Halloween spectaculars and, uh, yeah. uh, they would have drummers who are like lurking skeletons playing sort of found objects. They had this yeah. thing called a drum cart and mm-hmm. it was basically like a trailer covered in junk and like old, terrible bass drums and oil cans and and so forth and um i I and i and these two other guys just basically jammed for two and a half hours straight yeah and uh our hands were hamburger when it was over (laughs) uh and what was funny is all along we'd been thinking i wonder if they're gonna because we knew there was a party after the trick-or-treating yeah and it was for military families and nobody knew whether we were allowed to go in and really? so, right. So, and your skeletons too. So, right. Like, could we be part of the entertainment inside? I don't right, know. Right. And then um, we're sort of like, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And then they're like, hey, guys, you know, if you, if you need to go chill out after your performance, there's the tent right there. Um, and we went down. And by the time we like got to the tent, the whole White House had been like shut down, doors closed, locked, and not then, getting in there at all. And no one way. of the Secret Service guy goes, there's the gate. And it was like, see ya. See you later. All right. This Completely is great. Un- I mean, understood. I'm not going to complain, but right. Right. <laughs> some, cool of opportunity. The, some of the red mood folks did get to go in, but mm-hmm. we were sort of locked out. The drummers were. Yeah. Um, anyways, classic the, drummers always being left behind. Right. They're Jeez. like, they don't even know how to find their ass with two hands. We can't yeah. run the white house. The bass players were treated way worse though. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they weren't even invited. They weren't, they were just at the they gate. weren't even invited. Yeah. Just at the gate. Drummers, you guys go home, lead singers and gar- guitarists. You go hang out and have dinner with Michelle and, yeah. and Barack. <laughs> bass players are not allowed on the grounds. No. And actually I can see you right now. Bass players. Could you go? Could you just go? walk down the street? <laughs> You're embarrassing yourselves. I say that in jest. If you're a bass player and you're listening, it's just a joke. You know why we're making that joke because you're often left behind. That's why it's like that that meme of the drowning. Yes, yes. The drowning child is is well. He said that's the rhythm guitarist, and then the one who's sunken and like a skeleton is the bassist. Yeah, always, always. And then everyone else is like focused on the singer. (laughs) (laughs) So great. Uh, So the book is called Skeleton Stomp. A Haunted yeah. Tour of the White House. Awesome. And it comes out next fall, 2022. And um, uh, it is about three skeleton drummers who are actual skeletons 
not yeah. humans dressed up. And uh, they get invited to the White House by the First Lady to drum at the Halloween ball. And um, those skeleton drummers get to go inside. Right, what you don't know, like they always say. Right. <laughs> right, what you don't know. Right. So I'll, I created <laughs> I created three characters yeah, that I, I'm jealous of. So you can vicariously <laughs> experience this exper- this White House uh, tour. Right, they get I to go it. in, and now I'm, I'm resentful of my own yeah. creation. I hope on your book tour for this book, you're always <laughs> a little angry when you're like, yeah, yeah read the book. Their life is way better than mine. Right. It's all fake, though. It's all fake. It didn't happen. <laughs> well, that's exciting. So three books. They sound like a blast. You're a drummer. I've always known you as a drummer. And, you know, we met each other in Champaign-Urbana. And it's fitting because we're talking about drums. We're talking about uh, bands, but we're specifically talking about hum. And we're talking about you'd prefer an astronaut and that entire thing. And that's what's so cool about our connection is we were there. We were going to school where this band was formed and where they started. And so I think we kind of have this connection to them. And as I can see from your home, if you're watching the podcast, he surrounded (laughs) himself with hum art. And it looks awesome, just like um, mine. Which was a gift from you, by the way. This was a gift from Jarrett to me. That's why I have it. And I have a stack of other hum posters um, that I I thought I'd given you a different one. And I was like, wait, you have the astronaut one? (laughs) Um, I thought I sent you the dinosaur one. Yeah. But um, they're all the same artist. Jay Ryan is the the, uh, genius behind these hum posters. And he has been making hum posters because he went to U of I. And he, he knew the guys in hum... I think from Electra 2000, um, wow. maybe before it came out, I don't know, but, uh, he's been making posters for them for 30 years and That's amazing, like, or 25 years. And, uh, so I'm on, I'm, I'm on the mission. My mission is to find as many of Jay's posters as I can. It's just the ones from like 1998, 1999 are impossible to find. And if you do, people sell them for like 700 bucks. Yeah, but um, yeah, J- these are uh, Jay Ryan posters, and the one behind you is too. He's Jay Ryan of the Bird Machine. Yeah, and uh, he might still have some home posters for sale on his site. I'm not sure. Yeah, there there's been some savvy listeners um, to the 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 TikToks and the videos that I make, and they've called him out in the comments. You know, they've absolutely been like, "Oh, you got a Jay Ryan." You know what I mean? So like, oh, there's nice. been a lot. There's been people who have recognized it 100 percent when I'm live streaming or whatever. So it's been so cool to has, have it. He has one that I am always on the hunt for, which is, I think it was 2001 mm-hmm. or 2000. It was a New Year's Eve show in Chicago. I can't remember what club. It might have been Metro, but it was Hum with the Flaming Lips. Oh, wow. I know. So Number good. one, why wasn't I there? Why weren't Number you two, there? First of all, why didn't I buy the poster at the time? Um, and then the other one I really want is uh, Hum, the Promise Ring, and Heroic Doses from oh, 1998 that's good it's a and it's a great poster so if you have it anybody i'll buy it off you for like 25 cents i love it i love it I, I just saw a poster i was in vegas for a conference and i was in this um guinness 
Guinness Tavern that is, you know, in one of the hotel, it's like a place you can go eat. It's like, you know, imitating a Guinness Irish pub. And in the back, they had a framed Radiohead and Beck poster from Ireland. And the artwork on it was kind of like circus, bizarre. And I was like, I have to get this poster. I don't know where I can find it, but it looked amazing. It was a lineup from, you know, 1995 or something. So oh my God. looked incredible. Did you look um, for it? I'm, yeah, I've, I've started on the hunt to see if I can find it. So because uh, a lot of Jay's prints end up on eBay or on this website called Expresso Beans, where yeah. where poster collectors sell to each other. Oh, that's cool. And I've bought it. I actually bought that one off of Expresso Beans from a guy actually who lives like a mile from me. That's awesome. <laughs> but um, I don't know anybody else who made hum posters. Like I'm sure RCA made you know astronaut posters like right. of the album cover when it came out. But sure. I want to say Jay is like the only one he's got to be. It's such a well, well to commit like literally so much of his life to this one band. It's, it's amazing. That's what I love about it is he has such a unique, each one is different. Each one has a different flair to it. And, and, uh, I can see why people would want to collect these and chase these down. And, and And Hum is just an incredible band. And and that, I think he connects with them really well. That's why his art for this band in particular is always amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's they're 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 so great, and you'd prefer an astronaut is where we're going to focus. Even though we could talk about how, even as recently as last year, we they dropped Inlet on us, and it blew our minds. It yeah. was incredible, and we have you know Downward is Heavenward, and we have so many good albums from the band. But we're going to focus on this one because obviously I could have you come back and we just cover the entire <laughs> hum. Uh, I'm sure we'll touch on the others, but yeah, um, yeah, we can, we can. But that's the one that broke out for them. Yeah. You know, I mean. It's not the first one I heard. You so yeah, you've always been more music savvy. For my for my listeners, okay, so uh, Jared is Chicago based fella, and uh, he grew up in the Chicagoland area. And you know, as you guys already know, oh, is that a Chicago thing? Chicago star. Oh, it's a Chicago. See, that's how little I I <laughs> I, I lived there for a short while. Went Go to back college to there. Oklahoma, yeah, kid. <laughs> right. But where I grew up, obviously the bands were not coming in as frequently. But Jared, as a teen was exposed to, you know, clubs like the Metro and these places where these amazing epic bands. And then also being a drummer, you were in bands through high school. Uh, what were some of the bands that you played in uh, during high school in, in so, the Chicago suburbs? That's a good question, particularly for this episode, because the band, the main band that I was in in high school is called Shat. I still love that name so much. Shat. Yeah. And actually they're... <laughs> Shat, uh, Shat was together for my high school years, and the reason it's good for this episode is because if there were any two bands that Shat was, some people said ripping off, other yeah. people said you know inspired by, right. uh, we were somewhere in the middle. If right, there were any right. two bands, it was Helmet and Hum. Great we were choices. Doing everything we could to sound like Hum, as as massive as Hum as yeah. heavy as hum and um sort of honestly the my goal as a drummer was to uh i mean i was very 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 inspired by bryant st pierre um yeah. he he i i naturally drummed um in a really busy way yeah but hearing him and being in a band that was trying to sound like his band was was pretty amazing um and i remember even um our senior year the guitarist bought an orange uh stack 
Amazing. And that's exactly what Matt Talbot plays. And, um, you know, we were, we were really trying to, to, to like achieve that massive sound. And it was because basically my freshman year, so this is 1993 yeah. freshman year. I, uh, the, the guitarist of hum, sorry, not hum <laughs> shat. Yeah. See. Guitarist. See, they're one in the same. Right. <laughs> Such posers. <laughs> Such um, posers. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Newsflash, you're not in hum. Yeah. Right. Right. Anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, 1993, the guitarist of Shat, um, he introduced me to Electro 2000 okay. and it blew my mind, especially, well, Ironclad Lou and Scraper were my two favorite songs. And Scraper opens with this incredible uh, drum fill that I, I always thought this is the coolest thing I've ever heard. And this guy's amazing. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, Electro 2000 was the first time I fell in love with hum. Um, like just the rawness of it and the, the massive sound was, was infectious to me and, and sort of like helmet. It hit me at a time that I was like, this is exactly the band I need right now. Yeah. And, um, but then when astronaut came out, it, it took it to a whole other level of, um, just loving the band like a whole yeah. other level of love honestly yeah. it was um because it sounded the the recording is amazing and of course the songwriting is great and uh, brian st pierre from the drummer perspective i thought he does some of the most amazing work that he ever did on that yeah. album to somebody who's not a drummer it to me <clears throat> it was just so there was a pounding that was so much stronger than other drummers. And that's yes. like, there is, and I don't know how that is down to people who are recording engineers, but it's very noticeable. You go, here we yeah. are in this soft part of the song, this slowed down part, and the drums are still just hitting with this yes. ferocity that you go, not everybody does that. You know, most drummers go, all right, well, the guitars are slow, so we're going to really bring it down. No. Right. No. And <laughs> no. actually, I was just listening to an interview with him on the Trap Set podcast with yeah. uh, um, with him, with Brian St. Pierre. And um, it was it, he was talking about that. He said, you know, I'm sure other drummers sort of adjust for the studio. They know how to adjust for live, adjust for studio. Yeah. He's like, I can't do it. He said, I, I play as hard as I can because in a lot of ways, it was a way for him to pound out his own anxiety and his own inner critic. Yeah. So he would, and he said the whole band would play as loud as, I mean, it was basically live in the studio, but if you've ever seen a hum show, live is, is pounding. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah, I read that he, or no, he said in the interview that he hit so hard live that he tied himself to his drum set really i guess so he wouldn't knock himself over <laughs> that's uh, amazing it is that's i don't amazing. know if he was talking in jest but he answered pretty seriously yeah. when someone said do you still tie yourself to your drum set and he yeah. it was a listener asking a question and he said oh yeah yeah i still do that i have to oh my god um, that's amazing on that note i want to mention that it, one particularly meaningful um part of this conversation is is when brian st pierre died um this summer mm -hmm. it was there have been famous people um or just you know people that are that are well known who have died that have that have broke it's broken my heart when they've died sure john hughes was one um maurice sendak uh philip seymour hoffman yeah but this this 
this hit me in, in the gut and in the heart. And I saw a lot of people um, talking about, you know, how, how much he mattered to them. A lot of drummers talked about how much he mattered to them and, and how finding his work really inspired them and also uh, spoke to them for whatever reason, you know, certain drummers speak to people. There are some that don't speak to me at all. And then there are some, and Brian St. Pierre is, is at the top that speak to me, but also it's hard to express. It's he, he found pockets and corners in melody and in just sort of time signatures that he accented and um and his off key or his off tempo sort of like um busy playing that he would occasionally throw in and it it all spoke to i don't know i have adhd and i don't know if it was my sort of runaway brain feeling because that's how i always drummed which was like yeah this is a straightforward guitar line but i could also throw in this and i I can accent this with this cool fill here and then come back to the center. And he was doing that constantly. And I don't know, it was, you know, people talk about, Oh, when I found Margaret Atwood, you know, or Toni Morrison for the first time, it's, it it was almost like I was seen, I felt seen. Sure. That's how I felt about Brian St. Pierre. It's, it's like, Oh, he, he does it the way I want to do it. And, And he gets it. And it comes from an emotional place that is just driving and beautiful and it's and it's also really technically just awesome and uh so neil pert brian st pierre and then uh tim alexander from primus all in that period and then john stanier from helmet all four of them um basically from 92 to 94 or like 91 to 94 i found them all and um I don't think it's hyperbole to say I wouldn't be the person I am today without them because sure, um, they they made me want to drum as much as possible. Um, but they also showed me the way to drum that I or, or a way to drum that I wanted to do that felt the most authentically most authentic expression of myself in music. Yeah. Oh, the fifth guy is Jimmy Chamberlain. Jimmy Chamberlain, yeah. All yeah. in that period, 91 to 94. What a you know, discovery of musicians. Or 93, yeah. Yeah, um, at, and during your formative years. It's an enormous loss that Brian has gone. Um, Absolutely. He was 52 or 53. And, uh, um, you know, we talked about it. Inlet yep. is absolutely brilliant. And when it came out, my first thought, number one, it came out during like lockdown pretty like much like height right? height of lockdown yep i remember it felt like a gift from i don't know <laughs> yeah a gift <laughs> from the mu- from the music gods right it was like yeah, it was exactly. like we just got we got bestowed something they hadn't released anything new in 22 years it was literally like we get a new hum album and it's recorded <laughs> analog and exactly. brian st pierre's on it it was like exactly. so great because he had taken yeah. some time out of the band, if I remember right, had he? Did, yeah. And so this on, was this was on all the albums, but he he left he uh, stepped away from the band for during a the while during like the sort of 2010 period to like 2015. Yeah, so it was a big um, deal to get him back for for yeah. recording. You know, and I guess they'd been recording for the last four or five years. 
And they didn't even know if they would release any of it. That's amazing. That's amazing. It's just such a (laughs) visceral sound. As soon as you pop it in, you kind of go, this doesn't sound like it's been run through, uh, you know, 20 computers. This sounds like something from a studio, from the time, um, yet yet modernized, you know, like they'd grown and matured. It sounded like And that's the singer, Matt Talbot, is the engineer. And so good. basically producer, I think probably all of them are sort of the producer, but he engineered it at his own studio, which is Earth Analog down in Tolono, Illinois. Yeah. Um, he, it's, it's, I think it's the best recorded of all their albums, even though they all sound great. To they me. all sound great. Yeah, he's really and, good. And Brian's on it. And, but as soon as it came out, I thought, I cannot wait until all this shit is over. Yeah. And we're back to seeing live And we can shows. go see live music and go see and hum. I can go see him playing Inlet. Yeah. See Hum playing Inlet. And yeah. um you know, and then whatever future drumming he he would have done. Yeah. You know, and continued to touch people. I mean the the tributes that I saw from drummers, it, it's clear I'm not alone at all. Yeah. And um also it was just I, a lot of people wrote stuff online and I, I just couldn't. I, I really felt pain and um i thought well one day I'll, I'll either write about it or i'll get to talk about it and so that's why this podcast also i was like this is this is a meaningful way to to think about and talk about brian's contribution to music and rock music yeah um because he's among the best absolutely yeah i'm so glad man i'm so yeah. glad and 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 that's the thing is that uh it was I never got the chance to see Hum live. And I, I know you have. You got a chance. I never got a chance to see them live. Heartbreaking. I know what? you're going to spit your drink out. <laughs> no, it's just. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Know, like, <laughs> it is like a spit take. Like, I never got to see Hum. And you're just like. <laughs> almost um, did that yeah. it was either spit it out or choke <laughs> i never got a chance to see him and and really you know for me you know life moves <laughs> fast it really does and when you're living in the 90s you know here i am becoming the 90s music guy and i'm re- reminiscing and i mean i did live those moments but life's coming at you and you're not not aware that you're living through what i think we can all agree is an iconic era yeah. And, and, and the youth of today, you can absolutely say to me that there are great bands, there's amazing artists, and I believe it. And you and I all the time are sending each other artists that we think are great. And there's, there's a lot of good music coming out. But the 90s was a very specific window of what was happening in the cultural zeitgeist. And like there was a feeling in the air, but you weren't able to stop and go, this is, this is important. So here I am at University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign getting drunk at Murphy's Pub and if there was an opportunity to go see Hum on campus, I didn't know how important it would have been for me to go right. do that. And so, you know, I saw some shows. I saw Sunny Day Real Estate at Canopy Club. Right. I saw Pumpkins at Canopy Club. I saw a few more, um, but but I missed Hum. But you did you get to see them when we were going to school there? Yeah. You yeah. Did? So. Yeah, it wasn't so much like this is important. It's just like I you loved the band. band so well, much. Like, after the Brian St. Pierre story, you can see why if you yeah. had an opportunity to go see him. You know, for me, I'm like, the band that released Stars and my favorite song, Why I Like the Robins. You know, like right. <laughs> that's where I was. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for me, it was like this deeply rooted love. Totally. And totally. like, you know, you know, getting to see Matt Talbot 
with his glasses. He wore these big glasses, but he would wear the um, the athletic band that held him on his head. Yeah, I remember seeing so that pictures could, of that. Yeah, so that he could headbang as hard as he freaking could. Yeah, and um, I remember that the first time I saw them was after Astronaut came out, and it was yeah. at the Metro, and it uh, Silver Chair opened. Awesome if the, show. If the listeners are listening, if they yeah. remember Silver Chair. They must have been 15, 16 years old at the time or something yeah. like that. And that, speaking so. of resentment, <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting there going, I was in chat at the time and, and yeah. I was like, they get to open for hum? Who are these? Who are these Australian queens? bastards? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, Silverchair. No, no, no. Actually, and they yeah. actually went on to do, not after tomorrow, you know, the, some of the records they put out are pretty great. Like, I, I think that they they don't get as much credit. I've been thinking about doing a video on Silverchair because I think that they got written off in the grunge era. And actually, you know, they did. Pretty, yeah. They were pretty good. They're pretty and good. And actually, bands, so. I think their hearts were in the right place. Yeah. They were not... Um, I don't know. They, they were pretty straightforward that they were heavy and wanted to rock. Yeah. And I respect that. That's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. We used to laugh, though, about, about the Tomorrow song yeah. because the lyrics are so memorable. Yeah. You ha- what is it? You have to wait to uh, you gotta wait you have to, to wait to fat, fat boy. boy. Yeah, I know. I remember listening to that as a, as a kid and being like, is he saying fat boy? Yeah. Who's he talk- <laughs> is he talking so, about me? So mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope the kid that that's about doesn't know this. Is doesn't about know that, that's, <laughs> that these Australians are ripping him a new one for being yeah. overweight. Yeah. But yeah, no, um, they opened. S- and, uh, hum. Yeah. So hum at the Metro. I'm so thankful I saw that because Metro is, I think it's one of the greatest venues in the world. Sure. Anybody who comes to Chicago, check what's going on at the Metro. If you've never been there. And you took me there. You took me yeah. there. Our junior right. year. Yep. Yep. Um, so, it was an 18 and over show and I was 15. Amazing. And I was like, how am I going to get in? And my older brother lent me his ID and I look nothing like him. I mean, yeah. I, I look, I, I can have, verify this. Yeah, you, you don't look anything like him. Anything. By the way, this has all been a setup for you to admit that you broke the law and, and I'm going to use this to They're actually <laughs> still looking for me because of that. Yeah. Anyway, um, the sadness about that, about that show is I went with my friend, John and John drove us down. Um, I think it was just me and him. Um, and John, John goes down and drives us and he's got a fake ID too. Yeah. And, they look at mine and then look at me. And I remember to this day, I went, my brother like sort of had a scowl in the photo. So you were and scowling. I was, you had I was to. going like this. <laughs> and I was so bad. I was obviously 15, but the guy yeah. just went, whatever. And he yeah. gave me, yeah. and I went in, but then John was right behind me. He looks at it and he goes, I don't buy it. And he sent John out. Oh no. And I turned around and I looked at him and I was like, John, what do, what do you want us to do? And he, he goes, just go, just go in. Go. And it was like a scene Where'd out of a movie. Go? Yeah. Go on like, without me. I'll be fine. <laughs> and then I found out later after what, that while we were all rock, rocking out watching hum, cause a couple of other friends who went separately all got in. Yeah. While we were watching hum at the Metro, John was sitting alone in a McDonald's a block away. And at that point there's no phones. There's nothing John was just sitting in McDonald's waiting for us. Just like this. Just this. How I, he's got it. He's got a uh, McChicken in front of him. And he's going, yeah. he's going, he's going, she thinks she missed the train tomorrow. 
And then someone says, "Sir, are you okay?" He's like, "Can't you can't you hear the band? Can't you hear them?" <laughs> I'm listening to Hum right now. <laughs> Poor John. Poor John. I always oh. felt bad for John. So John, John saw Rage Against the Machine at Metro, and I didn't get to go. So and I all's think fair. He, I think he also went to the Siamese Dream release show at oh. Metro. Then John has had John a good was life. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you were saying earlier about how, um, speaking of Rage Against the Machine, short tangent, I was listening to Tom Morello the other day and he was saying on the show, you were saying how you were inspired by Hum and Helmet and wanted to sound like those bands. He admitted, he said when they were recording their album, there's a part in Wake Up in the Minute where he goes, he's like, yeah. they literally were in the studio and being like, how can we sound as much like Helmet as possible? Like really? in that moment. And when you listen to it, you go, oh, yeah, totally. that's a Helmet song, riff. A hundred percent. Five on Meantime, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet that's totally wake up. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. So he was like, he was like the bass player was, was listening to so much, uh, helmet at the time. So anyway, I helmet digress. Was, I could, I could go on for an hour about helmet, but yeah, we could, um, we could also do that too. You may just be like, uh, I may have guests on this show that go on for years and years, but <laughs> you'll end up being, you'll end up being my Andy Richter to, uh, sure. David Letterman. Although I think I said the same thing to John. So I think a gra- to John Walker, my previous guest. So I think what I'll do is I'll have like the longest couch of my friends that are there forever. Just always yeah. like John, Jarrett, just go on. Any of you available? Cause I don't have content this week. <laughs> I don't have content <laughs> this week. Can you just get on the show and talk to me? It does sure. make it, it does make it more fun. I'll be honest. Like, you know, I love doing the show and I love talking about bands and I can get very vulnerable when it's just me by myself. Mm-hmm. So th- those will always exist. But when you can talk to a person, yeah. a friend about music, it does. I mean, I can't believe how long we've already been talking and it feels like no time has flied by at all. You know, we barely we've barely talked about you. <laughs> you'd prefer an astronaut. We okay. talked about so, so many things. So let's yes. dig into the album. I saw them on that tour. Uh, or I don't even know if it was a tour. It was like their Chicago show after it was released. And we were totally into that album. Yeah. At that point, 1995, 1995. Yeah. I still remember the little stickers I bought at that show. Yeah. With the zebra. It probably had a zebra on it. No, it was a star that was sort of flowing across and it said hum in the trail of the star. Do you still have it? I put those. No, I put those stickers everywhere. I'm not like you. I I actually put them on things. You put them on things. You heard me talk about it on the show, how I'm one of those people. I still have all the stickers because I never have the courage to stick them anywhere. I would put them all over my Walkman. I love it. I love it. Well, that that album, You'd Prefer an Astronaut, came out. I have the date in front of me. It came out on April 11th, 1995. It was recorded in 94 to 95. They recorded Playground in Chicago and uh, Pachyderm Studio, uh, Canyon Falls, Minnesota. But... So the pachyderm didn't happen. I guess they went up for a week. Oh, okay. So you've got this to back it it up. Didn't work out. Okay. So it's listed incorrectly. Oh, does it say it was recorded? I mean, well, it says it says it lists both. So they're probably like somebody has the fact that they went there for a little bit and it didn't come together. It was just a week, and then they were like, "This isn't working," and so they came back to Chicago and um, recorded there. Yeah. Yeah, but you, uh, it's a, you know, runs 45 minutes. It's got the distortion and the sound on it is so great. And the, fa- the fact that you know about Pachyderm is it, you can trust listeners because Jarrett has actually sat down and interviewed members of the band in the past. Can you, can you just mention a brief snippet of that and then we'll talk more about the album? Yeah, but. so I, uh, the de- now defunct Alarm magazine hired me to to interview them before their 
2008, 2009, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day shows at the Double Door, which I saw. And um, so I was, that was one of the few shows I've ever been to where I was in the, the front and Amazing. I was had a, a direct line on Brian St. Pierre and it was an incredible show. And that's the show that I would think of when Inlet came out. And I thought I have to have that experience again, but yeah. with Inlet songs now, yeah. um, because that was, that ended up being the best one I'd ever seen. And yeah. um, so, and I have the poster from it by Jay Ryan, but um, that's awesome. it's in the basement. Um, anyways, I, I interviewed them because that show was happening and I interviewed Matt Talbot and Jeff Dimsey, the uh, uh, bassist. Yeah, and yeah, it was it was it was funny. Uh, Jeff and I had more of a heart to heart, and Matt was really funny. Like he, yeah. I asked him, you know, when you guys played out a lot, was Chicago one of your your favorite places, or was it your favorite place? And he's like, Chicago was all right, and they always treated us well, uh, but we really loved uh, uh, Kansas City. Like we just felt at home in Kansas City, yeah. and I was like, oh well they ended up when Brian wasn't playing with them, one of the drummers from Shiner uh, filled in oh. and Shiner's from Kansas city. Oh, okay. And um, if I got that wrong, don't yell at me, Yeah. but um, I'm, I'm almost positive. And uh, anyways, uh, I asked Matt, so what was it about Kansas city that you liked it a lot? And he said, uh, there's a lot of dirt bags in Kansas city and all four of us are just giant dirt bags. So we fit in. <laughs> So he was just enjoying having a good time with you, having a laugh. He was just, yeah, he was like, um, I think we talked a little bit about lyrics. Um, we talked about, Jeff and I talked about the uh, fact that Stars was featured in a Cadillac commercial at the end of the 90s. Was it really? Yeah. I you don't remember? Know that. No. Yeah, it was like this sleek Cadillac, and it's like somehow they were connecting this hum song to Cadillac. Yeah. And uh, I asked him about it, and he said, you know, uh, I was like, did you get any shit for that? Or because it was like, you know, at that time it was not cool to like have your, everybody Song did it, it. Yeah. after 2000, but it was not cool then. And, uh, he was like, no, it was fine. We thought it was funny and they paid <laughs> us really well. So, yeah. So why not? Yeah. We're, for, from, like, we're from Champagne Urbana, right? Rand, you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I want to get back to the champagne connection because, um, I do think that, I know that people all over the world have a, have a special connection to hum. So it's yeah. not, it's not like exclusive, but I do know that people in Champagne, the way people in Chicago feel about smashing pumpkins, yeah. the people in Champagne who love rock and metal own hum. Yeah. They, they love it. them. And, uh, it, that is a very special connection because they were there since 1989 and, yeah maybe a little earlier. And, and, um, they always, you know, they would play all the time down there and they're a champagne band at a time when there were loads of awesome champagne bands. Yeah. Poster children, uh, braid, um, even like ones that didn't break out, like Jenny Choi was one that when we were in school, like, I remember going to see all these bands and, and I mean, I was in love. I just loved being in champagne. So hum though was like sort of the, the, like the star, the shining star, star. Of, yeah. the, of champagne, you know, yeah. after REO Speedwagon. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I mean, they're always going to be at the top, but well, and, and, and anybody you can talk about, you know, we, we've said stars a couple times on here, but I mean, obviously me growing up in Oklahoma, I, my only exposure to bands really was from 120 minutes, alternative nation and things like that. And so stars was the, was the song that I heard. And then, mm-hmm. and listeners of, of the show know that I've already talked about how pixies and everything that quiet, loud, quiet, loud, like that's, yeah. you're, you're going to get an instant win from me. Um, when you do that. And when I heard the opening of stars, just with that, that soft opening, that boom, and then we go in and it's almost like there's moments of the song where there's like metal riffs. We're literally yes. in like this shoegaze song. And then all of a sudden they're riffing like a, like a, like a thrash song, like, you know, and I was literally, I was like, I think I've sent it. Yeah. I said, I think I've sent you the actual moment that part starts in yeah. stars Yes, where, where it's going. Yeah. And they, I remember when I saw them at the double door and I watched the guitarist, the bassist and the other guitarist and all their hands were doing the same thing. Exact and it was same like movement. Hypnotizing. Yeah. And I was, I was transported. I have it's, to say. Yes. It still, <laughs> it still gets me to this day. I can still yeah. play that song and I lose my mind every time I hear it. It's still so awesome. And I know at the time, like we talked about, they were getting comparisons to pumpkins and whatnot, you know, and getting unfairly so. Yeah. Because really, I mean, yeah, if you're saying, okay, this band's using octave chords, this band's using octave chords, that's about as close as it's getting. You're going, well, Hum was clearly forging their own path. And and I've yeah. even referenced it before. They're the ones who set the stage for bands that we like now called Nothing. I mean, bands like Hum. Yes set the path for nothing to, you know, not, not nothing, the actual, nothing, the band, you know? Yeah, totally. (laughs) No. And you know, some of those comparisons to the pumpkins, I think are partially like, okay, the center part of stars is like the, the sort of cord that hangs. Totally. That one is similar to, you know, the brief moment in the mayonnaise choruses from Smashing Pumpkins. And so sure. But also I think the comparisons people maybe didn't realize the reason they were putting them together was because, the guitars sounded at that point. It was Siamese Dream. The guitars sounded incredible, yes, and warm, yes. And both bands' drummers were inventive and like powerful and technically skilled in ways that they could that they could show in ways that weren't um, yeah. pretentious. They were they were they fit they fit, um, and they were enthusiastic. They're enthusiastic yeah. drummers yeah. and. I think that's what people were responding to, but instead it, it, for some, I think according to one of the guys that I interviewed, I think it was Jeff said, said that, you know, critics dismissed them, especially after downward is heavenward. Um, yeah. That they're just a smashing pumpkins ripoff. And I just don't even, no. I don't get it at all. I never thought of that until no, you said I, it. Yeah. I, I it, like, it's one of those things that when you make the comparison or somebody says the comparison, I'm like, not yeah. at all. I know both bands so well. That's like somebody saying, you know, that, that uh, it's like somebody saying that you're exactly like your brother or something. Right. And you go, we're completely different people. Like we're, we're like, we're not, we, we may share parents. We're and, both and, humans. And, yeah. Yeah. We're both human beings that breathe. <laughs> and one is a band. The other one's a band. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, one has four guys. One has four people. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like these compares, comparisons. I just think that they really rose above all that and, and contributed to, the nineties and early two thousand music scene in a, in a meaningful way. We should um, talk about though, that moment in stars when, when the, the, the first riff. symbol hit. Oh, when the first symbol hits. Yeah. And the reason I bring it up is because it, I feel like it's a, it's a segue for us into talking about just how beautifully re- recorded this album is. Oh yeah. It's, that it's hit hits you in the center of your chest. It like, does in a way that very few 
moments in other albums do. And it's because yeah. they've cat the, the engineer captured their hugeness in that moment yeah. and then does throughout the whole album too. Yeah. And, and, you know, audio recording has gotten sophisticated. Obviously we've got a lot more uh, technical things with computers and fast processors and you can, drummers can sync up their time. They, you know, they're not, they're not as beholden to those, the rules of back then of things just being a live take, but there mm-hmm. is something, and this makes me sound like an old man, but there <laughs> is something, there is something about recording to tape and about the performance being live, that there's a little bit of, I actually just heard, so n- never mind, just celebrated their 30 year. And they've been playing on Sirius XM. They've been playing all these, you know, 20 year anniversary uh, interviews with Dave Grohl. And he was talking about that, about how on those takes, he would listen back and be like, oh no, like, is this even good enough? Because I'm, I'm not keeping time well enough. And, and, but there is something that you can't take away from that raw feeling of this yeah. song is moving at its own pace. Nobody synced it up perfectly. It's, it's going exactly as the feeling in the room was taking you. Yeah. And that's the same with this. And when you get albums like Inlet, you go, nobody sat down and said, we got to make sure that this snare and kick drum are perfectly timed. It's not happening. Exactly. You know? And yeah. that's, you can tell. What's interesting is is Brian St. Pierre in the Trap Set interview, which I highly recommend. Um, yeah, check another, it out. They're another music podcast that I was blown away. Not by as good as this one, though. Not as nowhere close. They they might be bigger, but <laughs> kidding, right. <laughs> they just have more episodes. They just all. have more episodes and <laughs> millions of listeners. But hey, who's yeah, counting? I think I don't know. Yeah, but um, uh, he talked about the anxiety he felt when he recorded. Yeah. He, he was a very anxious man. He, he, he admitted this like very, very openly that he's extremely anxious and, um, a big warrior. And he was so self-conscious while drumming. Yeah. And this is what is an incredible thing to listen to is like from my ears as a, as a, as a teenager listening to astronaut and Electra 2000, I was, I was like, he is flowing and he's obviously, he's finding his own way of expressing himself within these songs and I love it. And he's so good. And then yeah. to hear him talk about it, he was never satisfied with himself. He always thought that uh, recording was extremely stressful because it was yeah. going to tape and because, um, Oh, that was that good. And constantly questioning himself. Yeah. Did, was that right? And then, and then he said, even in the middle of the take, he would be going, should I play that fill that you've been practicing that you've like prepared for this or should I just wing it right now? And so he was like always in his head. And he said the way he got out of that was by hitting as hard as he could and listening to the others and trying to drown out that inner voice. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, But astronaut captures that huge sound. Um, I, did you listen to the first song much when you had the album? Uh, no. Yeah. I always, I, I skipped it. Because, I did because the pod is incredible. The pod's amazing. And so little dipper, it's funny, right before we started recording today, I popped it on, of course, cause I was like, well, let's just get the energy going. Let's feel it. And I listened to little dipper and I was like, yeah, it's a good song. But for some reason 
when I owned it, I would go right into the pod. Yeah. I just needed that, the way that, that, that stuff is going in reverse, you know, at the beginning. Yes. And you're kind of like, you're kind of <laughs> being like, I'm being pulled into the tractor beam of hum, you know? Yes. And, and whoever did the track listing of that album at first, they, they just chose poorly on how to kick off the album. I think, I think. Although my older brother, who's, who's a hum fan too, he, he says it's ballsy. Is it ball- it's like, a ballsy move. They opened with like a sleeper that is huge and heavy and awesome. And you expect yeah. it to be the pod that, that like kicks it off. Yeah. Um, and they do that on inlet where like the third song is this eight minute, like, yeah, just drop D <sighs> sort of like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I've been pulled down into the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Sort yeah. Of totally. Amazing uh, quality. But uh, yeah, I always jump to, to the pod. Too. Went and to the pod and then you go to stars after that. And then, and I would say the rest of the album I listened to, you know, I love why I like the Robins. That's actually my, that um, was, that was my favorite song on the album. Um, so you and you and I are, well, I know we're, we have a lot in common. Yeah. We, but, we do. um, why I like the Robins was always my favorite and yeah. mayonnaise was my favorite on Siamese dream. Yeah. And I was like, wait, your favorite's mayonnaise. Yeah. Just recently. Yeah. And and, oh, you want to know what's a funny thing that we also figured out. I've known Jarrett for 23, 24 years or however long it's been now. We just recently discovered we both loved horror movies. Remember like six months ago, we were on the phone and we were like, why did we never talk about this in college? (laughs) We we talked about bands. We talked about, you know, plays and theater. We did a lot of plays together, but we didn't talk about how we both loved horror. And actually, I think that my horror love so I loved it as a kid, but then I think same. as I've gotten older, I've got, I've like re-embraced it. You know, you've probably had the same thing, same, which is we're dads, we're busy, we've got full lives. And so I'm just now able to start going back to music and movies and things that really meant a lot to me as a kid. And I'm yeah. able to enjoy them now. So that's totally. probably why. We but, talked a lot about slow dive and hum that yes, freshman year. We did. We did. Yeah. yeah um, that, and, that was, and I see those two almost in a weird way as like, brothers or sister bands like totally i found i you know astronaut came out at the same year i, I found suvlaki by slow dive yeah one of my favorite albums to this day and there's something about the sonic quality of both bands that is just like a warm blanket it really me. is <laughs> it really is and i you know I, I i say that in that siamese dream uh, mayonnaise yeah. tiktok i go distortion like a warm blanket it really is. And and you and I, we found each other because we were, we met in the theater program that we left, but at right. that era in 1997, when you meet somebody else who has a passion for alternative music and bands and playing instruments and, you know, we were immediately drawn to each other and yeah. then we kept that all the way through. Um, I love you. Per, I love uh, why I like the Robin so much because of that. It has a, <laughs> it hops it hops. It's like, you know, it's like, I like your raindrop collector. And then it, but then it's just, and then it just goes like, and he's hitting as hard as he can. Yes. And he's hitting as hard as he can, but that's the one that really, uh, stuck out to me at the time because all of them are, are fantastic songs, but yeah. And to me, that song builds to this. Yes. I don't know if it's a chorus or what it is, but it's, it's like, I mean, I always memorize these by drum parts where he just of goes course. like, do, 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 <laughs> and it, it like, it's like this driving middle part, like two minutes or two and a half minutes into the song where he, he sort of, um, sings on a high, high, higher notes. Yeah. And, um, the drummer is, he, he's doing this off. He does these fills that like, do, do, and he's just flowing. And, but then he's throwing in these fills that are, that are just perfect and incredible. And I love it. 
I I always listen to that song a lot. And then um, what do you think of uh, why I, or I like your hair long? Or is that the title? That's the name of the title. And I got to yeah. tell you right now, I skipped that one too when I was listening to the album. It was yes, I did. I did, and it was because. Um, the hook of the chorus at the time didn't connect with me back mm-hmm. then. It, it, it had this kind of like they were infusing it with a pop sensibility that, yeah. uh, that I didn't feel like fit when I was listening to the album. Now I don't skip it, but, but at the time yeah. it felt like a, it felt like a hook and, and, yeah. and uh, it was like, this doesn't seem to match when I want to listen to hum yeah. at all with what I'm feeling. But what about you? And it's funny. I liked it a lot. It wasn't yeah. my favorite on the album, but I remember I had a, a good friend named Amy who um really loved home too and she we were listening to it in her car actually going to see Bjork yeah. and she we got to that song and she's like oh, I don't like this and I'm like what and then she, it was because she was like these lyrics are ridiculous <laughs> she's like you're a waste of a song then why are you singing this yeah. and like she couldn't get over the sort of meta quality that he was saying this song is a waste and yeah. I don't want to sing about you but he is singing yeah, yeah. And I, was I mean, like, come on. I never I mean, thought that hard. Amy, you're so you're so vain that, we, that you think this song is about you. It's been done. It's been done. Yeah. Where you you know exactly. But I, it's funny. Mine is not lyrics based. If anything, mm-hmm. I struggle to hear lyrics. I actually, I um, never hear most. Lyrics. I never hear lyrics. I could listen to a song. I, <laughs> I, I, have I told this on the podcast? I got to tell it real quick. I made a um, mixtape for my wife Jamie when we were um, girlfriend and boyfriend in college. And I made her this mixtape that was just songs that I loved because that's what I thought mixtapes were. We're literally like in my brain and in my world, it was you make a mixtape for your girlfriend or boyfriend that is representative of the music that you love so you can share it together. I didn't know that most people made mixtapes to communicate a message of love or passion or endearment. I had. Oh, I never did that. No, but apparently, Jarrett, people did. (laughs) Apparently they did. I only yeah, did no, it. I would play. I would make a mixtape for a girlfriend, and I would go. These are all songs that I think are awesome, and you should know them. We are so the same, <laughs> and I want listeners to. I want you. I really find me on social media and tell me if you were on the same wavelength. I'm making mixtapes, going. This band rules. This yeah. song will melt your face off. This one makes me cry, not because of the words, but because of what it does to my soul. Right, and so I gave her the this tape and it had pulps like a friend on there and she's sitting there going what is he trying to tell me you're the last train i never should have caught you're the body hidden in the trunk like all this (laughs) shit in the lyrics that literally are like saying i should have never met you you're a disaster for my life you're you've you know and she's like and and she told me she's like what did you want to do? And I was like, I just think that song rules. It's pulp. It's yeah, great. It's you know, <laughs> it's a great song. It's so, <laughs> I just think it's so great that you did the same thing. So apparently there was a whole contingent of teenagers at the time. There were assembling mixtapes so that the lyrics would, would say, I, I want to make out. I want to go yeah. to bed with you, whatever. And that's the driving point. And I mean, when you're an alternative oh, music fan, that's yeah. a hard thing to do because that's not what anybody's singing. About. No, I mean, like I would make mixtapes with smallpox champion on it. Yeah. And, uh, by Fugazi and yeah. like, uh, uh, some Jawbox songs and, yeah. and Pond and these yeah. bands from Sub Pop. None yeah. of those songs were like <laughs> romantic, you know, romantic no. at all. It was like yeah. I know the the one Jawbox song was based on a, a novel about the guy who, um, cr- oh, Crash, not yeah. Crash, 
It's the one about the guy who, who like intentionally crashes his car. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. About the movie, the movie crash, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I yeah. think uh, the song was motorist. Yeah. Uh, wow. My jailbox. So I would put that on and <laughs> there you go. <laughs> not crash that, not crash the Academy award winning. No, one, it's but, the other um, one. It's the one with James yeah. Spader in it. I yeah, saw that exactly. one in a theater. It's a very, very yeah. bizarre film. So yeah. Jay Robbins from, from Jawbox was on 120 minutes saying, Oh yeah. Motorist is based on this messed up novel by J.G. Ballard, oh my and God. it's, like, violent and bizarre. Totally. And I'd be like, hey, you got to check out Motorist. you got to check like, out Motorist. It's a great song. And so, she would be like, what? This is talking about, like, a, fl- a car on fire and, like, flames and... <laughs> What's wrong with you? What is it? <laughs> so we, I just want you to know that we probably had many uh, g- uh, gals as, as young men that were probably th- completely thrown by our mixtape efforts. And, yes. Uh, to, I know that now, I guess. I know it now. I know it now. <laughs> but I thought you, that was hilarious. Yeah. At least you had Jamie to say. Yeah. She was hey, like, uh, is- yeah, she married me. So it worked out okay. Right. And, and actually she... I think that the funny thing is, is when this TikTok thing started and I started doing these reenactments... She goes, she said to me, she goes, this is the guy I fell in love with. She goes, you're, this is who you were in college. This is the guy that I met who would go on and on and on about (laughs) bands or go like this. Listen, listen to this part right here. Okay. Listen, listen to this part right here. She was like, that's the guy that I met who was 19 years old and would not, and would get in an argument at a, at a party with people about bands that he loved and bands that he hated and all this stuff. And, and I was like, man, it's amazing to me that, it, you know, in my twenties, thirties, how much of that part of me was just put on a shelf. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. Did I listen to music? Of course I always did, but I didn't go. It's everything like I used to, <laughs> you know? So it's, so it crazy. always, it usually comes back to drummers for me. Cause I, I immediately went back to, yeah, that didn't happen all the time for me anymore after college, but I remember when Block Party's Silent Alarm came out. Yeah. And the drummer on that is incredible. Yeah. And he's he's just like a he's a he's a maniac. Yeah. And he uh is just like um, you showed frenetic, me that album. Yeah. frenetic energy. And that was one that I that I would be like, Have you heard Silent Alarm <laughs> to people? But like yeah, there haven't been many since what whereas during high school and college, it seemed to be all the time. Now, all the time. Our, our and, lives revolved around it, which yet we didn't have the internet either. So it was a, if it was all the time, there was so much more time spent finding the, the CD or, or right. you know, sitting around and listening and going through somebody else's collection. And it's amazing because we didn't have as much given to us as people do now, but yet it was so much more all consuming of my time and energy. We're, we're yeah, bands. Completely. Know? And you know what, before I forget, I want to make sure to say to listeners I just saw Smashing Pumpkins at Riot Fest in Chicago. Yeah. And it was the first time. I mean, I've seen hundreds of shows in my life. And it was the first time I've ever cried at a concert. And, you know, there's a lot going on. Um, But um, when Billy Corgan was playing Disarm, which is not a song I particularly was drawn to, even as a high schooler. I liked it. I thought it was good. I liked it. But... It wasn't like, oh, this is, you know, seminal for me. Um, he was singing it and he was doing it solo. And I, I just started sobbing and my wife was next to me and she was really surprised. And she was being really nice and like rubbing my show, my back. But, um, after it was over, she said, was that, did that song have like a a kind of meaning for you back in the day? And I was like, not at all, (laughs) but 
last time I saw Smashing Pumpkins before that show was with a good friend of mine from high school who died our yeah. the first month of freshman year of college. Wow. And I miss him like hell today. Yeah. And I started thinking about him. His name was Umir. And Umir was a great Pumpkins fan. And we saw them on the Melancholy Tour together. And I don't know. He said he said those lines, um, something about, you know, that little child. Yeah. Um, and I thought about Billy Corgan weirdly, like probably in his 50s, looking back at how fast time has gone. Sure. And then that led me to thinking about, Jesus, it's been 24 years since I saw Umir. Yeah. And the last time we heard this song, I heard this song live. It was with him. And I just started crying. Yeah. Um, I, I had the same reaction to the song. Life. But what I would say is one thing I've I've really I'm I'm so uh, passionate about urgently telling people is if there's some band that was incredibly meaningful to you in your life at any point and they're playing, do everything you can to go. Yeah. Because if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that life is fleeting and short and uh, we don't know what's going to happen. And for example, I don't know if Hum's ever going to play again or not. Maybe they'll yeah. play with the guy from Shiner. I wouldn't be surprised if they said it's over. But if they um, play, go see him. And I yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Or, I, or I, whatever I, band, you know, Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, yeah. That's any the, of the ones you've talked about that people are clearly just as passionate about on your TikTok. I think that's a good point. It's a good point. And, uh, you know, here we are talking about Hum back in Champaign-Urbana days, and I'm wishing so bad I'd seen them then. And, and even right. more so, you know, during the pandemic, we got inlet. And I think that's a good point. And I had the same visceral reaction to Disarm uh, on the 2018 reunion tour. I sobbed like a baby. Um, and it wasn't because of the connection to the song. I think I, I could, <laughs> I was just transported back. It was like that scene yeah. in Rat Ratatouille where he takes mm. the bite and he's like all of a sudden back and he's a child. I just suddenly was like a young teenage boy learning to play that on acoustic guitar. And I suddenly was like, I, I'm, I'm in my forties now. Like that's so long ago. Exactly. It that just, hit me with the little boy line. Yeah. I was yeah. Like, it's I like, still oh my God. feel a connection to that boy. <laughs> I, I was, I know I still feel and like him. I still feel yeah. like that mentally. I mean, that's the crazy thing. And, and, and people who listen to waterproof records who are our age, you know, what we're talking about. If you're young, then you'll feel mentally that way for the rest of your life, at least as far as like, I still feel like the same 17 year old kid. Have I matured? Have I changed? Have I, yeah. have I learned life lessons? Yes. But I still feel like I did when I was that age. And it's, same. it's really hard to, to, to look in the mirror and realize, Oh, I'm not that kid anymore. And I know? think that's not an uncommon experience for people as they age you know 85 86 year olds they are shocked sometimes to look in the mirror because they still feel i mean they say that everybody has a particular age that they felt they feel the the closest to that they went through sure. some people will be like i i have an aunt who says that it's when she was nine like wow. she just feels that and for me it's 17 18 like i yeah. am that guy yeah but i have no hair <laughs> and a beard and i'm 42 yeah so yeah. but the, the show thing, if you're young, soak in as much music as you can and, and see as much as you can now, no matter, you know, uh, you know, as much as you can. Yeah. But if you're older, like don't it. Yeah. You're going to be tired the next day. And yeah. we do, we do a good job of talking ourselves out of experiences yeah. um, as we get older. Sure. And especially with family and kids. I mean, it makes sense. 
Yeah. But for example, that show when I saw Hum at the Double Door was a midnight show. And I had I had a little one, I had a two-year-old at the time. And yeah, I felt terrible the next day, but I'm so glad that I didn't go, ah, I'm not going. Yeah. Like I just powered through and and the the music lifted me up. It's not like I was tired during the set. It was yeah. transporting and uplifting. So yeah. and to this day I'm still talking about it. So yeah. Well, it, I know I can't keep you much longer. I know you had a heart out, but I was going to say, um, you know, look, I, I love this show because we came in to talk about Hums, You'd Prefer an Astronaut, and it became so much more. And so I, I think yeah. that for people who listen, all of us can remember the time that we heard that album for the first time, heard stars, heard these these songs and how much they influence artists. And what was so special about this is that you're the impact that Brian St. Pierre had on you and your life, it was a very fitting tribute for an incredibly talented man that was we lost way too soon, just a couple months ago. So the wound is still fresh. Yeah. But if anything, I hope that the members of HUM hear this show, they hear how much uh, his talent meant to you and to me, and that what an impact that they've had on us. And honestly, I don't think this is the only time that we're going to talk about HUM. And, uh, I think that, uh, we should definitely revisit it, but yeah, if you want to do like an album by album, yeah, I mean, maybe we should just go <laughs> album by album, but I, it's been, it's been really special. And before we wrap things up, I just wanted to see if there was anything else. I de- definitely want to plug, you know, of course, jazz for lunch and, um, and Mr. Thank Watson's you. chicken chickens. And, uh, what's the easiest way they, do they just Google them and find them no, that way? Go to bookshop.org bookshop.org um, everybody. Bookshop.org is a great alternative to Amazon that was started by a couple like veterans in the sort of indie book world. Yeah. And it's, it's not one of these sort of, um, passing, passing things like so many websites have been. Um, this is a really well done website. You can choose your local independent as like your shop. And when you buy on bookshop, bookshop bookshop.org gives 10% to that independent bookshop. And, um, it's not insignificant. I was talking to a bookshop owner last week who said they get, they get significant checks when people do that because the more people do it, they get 10% of the, uh, of the cost. So bookshop.org you can, and then you can search for jazz for lunch or Mr. Watson's chickens, or maybe your local bookshop already has it. Yeah. And then next year, keep an eye out for skeleton stomp. Skeleton stomp. Yeah. Skeleton stomp. Well, Jarrett Dapier, thank you for taking your time today and joining me to talk about Hum. And it was it was awesome, dude. I mean, you know, yeah, I'm, thanks I'm, for having me. Absolutely, and uh, I'm gonna have you back. So, um, so thanks for coming on this time around. And uh, we should probably talk about Sunny Day Real Estate. Oh, uh, another really great one that we got a chance to see at U of I when we yes. were there. And then the drummer. Oh, the yeah. drummer of that was another one. I was like, listen to this guy. <laughs> so good. So good. So many great bands. Yeah. And uh, Jarrett to this day, oh, before we get out of here, I was going to say, um, you are very percussive and talking about the bands today that you talked about. Whenever I show my brother a new band that I'm listening to and it's very percussive, he goes, did Jarrett show you this one? My brother <laughs> literally, he literally says that every time because he knows my brother is a music nut like we are, but he can always hear and you have bigger taste than that, of course. Right, right. But he can tell when when an artist comes and it's got like the drums are really driving that song. Yeah. He's like, this is a Jarrett reference, isn't it? And like like William it totally is. In, in sunny day. He's got that driving pounding force, yeah. but he also is a little hyperactive. Yeah. Like yeah. Brian St. Pierre, like Neil Peart. Yeah. Uh, like John, well, John Stanier is a little more like 
uh, reserved, but amazing. Yeah. Um, but Jimmy Chamberlain, I mean, I, you're right. Yeah. You, there's a, you, there's a sound, there's a Jarrett sound. And my brother says, that's a Jarrett band that you're sharing with me right now. So. <laughs> oh, and the black party guy. Yeah. 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 Black party yeah. Guy. Well, but thank you. This was, this, yeah, was, a this treat. was awesome. This was awesome. All right. I'm going to say goodbye. See us. See you next time on waterproof record. Thank you.